You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. My name is Maddie Lotenbach, and I'm an associate at Wiley in the firm's telecom, media, and technology practice. Wiley's a proud member of GBF, which brings together organizations from around the world engaged in the development and delivery of satellite technologies and solutions for consumers and commercial and government organizations worldwide. I'm pleased to be joined today by two fellow GVF members, Jennifer Manor, Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Echostar Hughes, and Suzanne Malloy, Vice President of Legal and Regulatory Affairs at SES. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much, Maddie, and thank you for inviting Suzanne and I. We're very excited to be here and on such a, a great topic. There's a lot happening both here in the U.S. and abroad to support 5G deployment, as well as broadband connectivity and digital inclusion. I'd like to examine the role of satellite networks in these efforts. So let's start with 5G. How will satellite help achieve the vision of 5G? So so let me start by saying 5G has a lot of reputation as being a terrestrial mobile technology, but in reality... When you look at what 5G is going to achieve, which is connectivity everywhere for everyone, you know that satellite's gonna be an important part, whether that's non-geostationary orbit satellites or geostationary orbit satellites. And we've been very active as an industry, um, as well as companies in making sure that happens. So just a few examples, many of us, including um, my company, Echo Star Hughes and Suzanne's company are already um, building satellites for 5G world. So, for for instance, Jupiter 3, our satellite that's launching in 2021 is a high-throughput satellite over the Americas, will bring speeds of 100 megabits um, across North and South America. So, we're really excited about that. So, we'll be able to bring really high-speed service to folks to help support 5G. We've already had significant experience in these areas, satellite operators, including our company, and I, I'm sure Suzanne's company are already involved in things like IoT, serving utilities and so forth. So this ubiquity that's so important to 5G is really only going to be achieved with satellite being part of the solution. So while we're not the only solution for 5G, we're certainly an important part. Exactly that, that we're the right communications um, mix. That's what the goal should be. And satellite is very much a part of So what satellites can deliver for 5G as a network, a network with secured high bandwidth and ubiquitous coverage. That ubiquitous coverage allows 5G to accelerate its rollout. So the satellite industry has been and will continue to invest in global network infrastructure to support 5G rollout worldwide. The integration of satellite into 5G requires the kind of technology development that Jennifer mentioned. And we expect fully that just as we are integrated into backhauling of data for today's cellular networks, we'll be involved in the integration of satellite into backhauling of 5G. We've already had over the past two years, three years, several live over-the-year demonstrations to validate technologies for integrating satellite into 5G. And as I said, we will continue to invest in our technologies and and innovation to be able to support global 5G rollout. So you had mentioned satellite backhauling. I kind of want to dig into that as well as some of the other satellite use cases. We're certainly hearing a lot about 
the Internet of Things and machine-to-machine technologies, which will support smart homes, businesses, and cities, connected farms, factories, global supply chains, telehealth solutions, and more. So I'm hoping you guys can talk to me through some of the use cases, both for consumer end users as well as enterprise and government users. One might be the Internet of Things and machine-to-machine communication. Um, one of the let's just pick one application that um, that's long been using satellite capacity, um, agribusiness or, or agriculture. So for a while now, on tractors, you know, just as tra- cars have been using GPS, um, tractors have been using GPS connected to satellites to help in um, regulating um, the way that we plant crops and the way that we monitor crops in order to be able to make our agricultural um, efforts much more efficient. And what we expect to see in the future is, is also based on our uh, access to additional spectrum, is much more deployment of Internet of Things or machine, to, machine communications that are integrated with satellite networks. And I think that um, Jennifer might have some specific example, but this additional spectrum that we're talking about and, and more intense use of the spectrum, let's say for inter-satellite links, is connected with the data that's being produced on the ground that folks want in a more quick fashion. So one kind of IoT is images that are taken of the Earth, but for a long time might only have been routed back to where they're um, centralized once a day. With satellites and with more satellites, let's say with more non-geostationary satellites, that will be able to be routed much more quickly and updated much more often during the day. But what we are seeing is folks asking, well, can't that be routed over um, satellites between different kinds of satellite networks, geostationary and non-geostationary, to make those downloads quicker and more frequent. And so that's basically machine-to-machine communication. That's satellites being an integral part of Internet of Things. And one of the many sort of the superpowers of satellite, in addition to reach, is its efficiency for one-to-many type communication. And for future networks, a lot of the computing will be done at the edge of the network pushing out um, content and data to the edge of the network to be used at the edge of the network for different applications, cloud computing at the edge of the network, and then bringing it back to the central network for further processing or processing at the edge of the network. But the ability of satellite to reach, to have ubiquitous coverage globally, and to reach the edge of the network and connect it back um, to central points is one of the important roles of satellites in future 5G networks. And this is going to be content delivery. This is going to be data delivery. Um, we, what we're seeing is an explosion of video delivery, which has long been um, the way that satellite has performed in global networks, so the backbone of video delivery. So those are some of the ways we expect satellite to integrate into 5G networks. So and just to add to what Suzanne says, which I agree, totally with um, just a couple of areas. So used today as the largest satellite broadband 
provider direct to consumer, and we certainly see that role continuing with 5G. There are going to be certain consumers who aren't going to live within coverage of mobile terrestrial network or fiber networks for that. So you're certainly going to have those customers wanting to be connected and needing to be connected. And this really goes to another important area, which is digital connectivity. And whether that's direct to home or through a community Wi-Fi program, there's all different ways that um, we've been very active and other satellite operators have been active in making sure direct-to-consumer happens. So while you know a significant percentage of users will have access to terrestrial networks, there will still be some who very much rely on, on satellite and where it's the only cost-effective method in which to get service out. Um, the other area I do want to touch on is mobility, which really is a growing area for satellite and continues to be very exciting. Um, so making sure that 5G is available on aircraft, on ships, and other mobile conveyances, I think is another really important part of 5G. Um, but, but I agree, it's going to be in all the different sectors, Maddie, you brought up earlier. Um, so I think we could go on and on, but that's probably a, a good overview. You had brought up mobility, and I think that's a good segue to to talk a little bit about some of the mobile use cases. Uh, you had mentioned aircraft as well as ships at sea. Is this related to the earth stations in motion sort of discussions or ESMs that we've been hearing a lot about? Yes, Maddie, that's exactly it. Of course, there was spectrum made available for this in some countries like the United States have already enabled this usage. Um, so that's an important part of what you're saying. And you know, fortunately or unfortunately, for those of us who fly a lot, we're now always connected, and that's really thanks to satellite. And being able to bring the 5G experience to planes and ships and other conveyance railroads is really, really important and something I think the satellite industry is particularly well-suited to support. Airline passenger growth is um, expected to continue. It um, might have been about 5% globally in 2018. There was a survey done by Pew Research in the U.S. that in, in which passengers said that they would bring three devices on board airlines. 34% of those surveys said that they expected to bring three devices on board their next airline trip. So that sort of is illustrative of the kind of demand we're already seeing. And with increased airline passenger growth, and that will only increase. By 2026, 68% of aircraft are expected to be connected. 5G standards development is essential for ensuring compatibility across 5G features and functionalities. Can you provide an update on the standards process and the satellite industry's role in that process? The standards body 3GPP has already developed some early satellite standards for 5G, including in the 2 gigahertz band, but it's really focused on release 17. And that's where you'll see the greatest work on satellite being included in 5G, and that standard should be complete in 2021. Now I want to transition from 5G to discuss broadband connectivity and digital inclusion. In 2020, there are still tens of millions of unconnected people worldwide. How can satellite help? That's such an important question. Digital connectivity and and digital inclusion is a critical area and an area as a satellite operator who provides service direct to consumers is an area we're always looking to improve. Um, So just this um, past few years, we've entered the Latin American market and and you really see um, the importance of satellite in markets like this where the terrestrial network doesn't provide coverage fully. I was just talking to one of my colleagues today about Colombia, 
And for instance, today, only 59% of Colombians have access to broadband internet. And this is really where satellite can come in and make such a difference, especially in rural, remote, underserved areas or areas where terrestrial doesn't even go. Because once we put our satellites up, whether it's an NGSO or a GSO constellation, there's coverage. And, and that makes such a difference in that you don't have to build out the, the facilities that are required um, with terrestrial communication. So you're seeing some unique ways. You know, you're seeing lots of government supporting service to schools. You're also seeing both the private sector and government stand up to bring community Wi-Fi to folks in areas where people can't afford it. And, and just to explain the community Wi-Fi concept, which I think is fantastic, and we've deployed so far in Brazil and Mexico, and I know we're looking at other countries, and it's been very, very successful. And, and that's where you find, um, you, know, you, you find a community point, whether it's a store, a retailer, a community center, um, whatever, and you're able to, um, set up a community Wi-Fi and sell access to the Wi-Fi, much like we did with calling cards years ago, right? So you'd come in and you'd buy an hour of time for in Mexico, for instance, for 20 pesos um, under a dollar, and you get access to the internet. And what's really remarkable is how much young people are appreciating this. We're seeing a number of older people in communities who are hesitant. So the younger people are being trained as well as the older, and then the younger people are able to work with the rest of the community to help with adoption. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that some people in the community who can afford a regular subscription service don't have it. It just gives another access point and another way to, to obtain broadband and maybe even use it and, and then gear up to where you actually find its value to, to subscribe. And I, I think adoption is such an important part of this and having ways for people to try and use internet, whether it's through government programs, whether it's through new ways that commercial industries providing are so important things like community wi-fi schools and libraries having access because you really make it real and starts to recognize the value and people are able to start home businesses and so forth we've done some work here looking at how things change and you really do see a number of benefits coming from this direct to consumers first for government increased tax revenues employment I mean, we still have to be installed individually so you have local employment. We've also got home businesses starting for education, the number of school-aged children who are in these homes, but also for homeschooling, um, which in some countries, you know, is, is a fairly large portion, not, not a significant portion, but still a sizable portion of the population. And getting these schools out to people is so critical, and especially on the home business side is, as perhaps the economic sectors have changed so much in, in these rural areas, giving people another option or another way to make to earn a living. Suzanne, did you have anything you wanted to add on the topic of community Wi-Fi? Not on community Wi-Fi per se, but just on in terms of what people are accessing when they're using satellite to, to get connectivity. It is the social media platforms that the people are integrating into not just their uh, family and social lives, but also into their business lives. So this access to social media, wherever they are, whether they're in motion on planes or vessels, or whether they're in areas that are beyond the reach of fiber connectivity. And, and those areas that are beyond the reach of fiber connectivity may be areas that are uh, remote or simply just outside of major cities. When we have satellite as part of the mix of technologies, 
we are able to reach into areas that are sort of off the fiber grid um, with satellite connectivity, and we can extend that. We've seen this in countries like Brazil. FES has a medium Earth orbit constellation, and that is able to cover remote areas in, let's say, a diameter of 750 kilometers. So at the top of the Amazon, where we've shipped in um, the equipment itself by boat, we are actually re reaching an area of 500,000 people, half a million people. So being in a remote area doesn't mean you're, you're not in a city. We're serving a city of 65,000 in that area. It's just that it's not reached by traditional terrestrial infrastructure. So those folks can get social media access. They're able to have their hospitals read x-rays remotely and able to access the kind of applications that we're used to in our offices in larger cities. They can access libraries of major universities in any country by virtue of their the quality of the connectivity that they get being equivalent to what they've got in the city. The things that we do in our everyday life can be enabled by satellites in areas that fiber doesn't reach or other terrestrial uh, traditional infrastructure isn't reaching. Is there a role for hybrid networks for supporting broadband connectivity and digital inclusion? Oh, I think that's a that's a really good question, Maddie, and I'd say yes. And when we talk hybrid, it could be GSO and NGSO. It could be either one of those and um, a terrestrial network, you know, whether fiber or wireless. You know, um, I can talk from the GSO example. We're, of course, looking at all three. Um, GSO satellites do have a slightly higher latency um, than terrestrial communications and non-GSOs. And so one of the ways we're working, um, we have today for our enterprise customers, um, we do have hybrid terrestrial and GSO networks, and we're very much looking forward um, to when the NGSOs, the LEOs start launching, because we see that as a critical way for direct consumer that we're able to move the latency-sensitive traffic to the the lower latency network where we're able to, on the GSO, provide higher capacity, perhaps higher speed services. So I think it's a great way forward and something that we'll see more and more, not just in the enterprise market, but also in the residential market. So it's certainly exciting um, as the Leo's come up on board. You know, just I believe yesterday, um, OneWeb launched 34 satellites successfully. You know, O3B has been incredibly successful with their launches. We know that SpaceX is launching. So I think we're in an extremely exciting time in the satellite industry to, to bring these kinds of new uses of technology, of, of, of proven technologies, but working together to consumers and to businesses and government. Last question on this topic. What can regulators around the world do to improve broadband connectivity? So I'd say number one is um, access to spectrum and spectrum certainty, in, in my view. So that's something that's super important, and I hope that regulators continue to see. I also believe increased flexibility in terms of fleet management and the types of services we can look at. Regulators tend to have a tendency to perhaps put a more heavy-handed approach to regulation for satellite than they do for terrestrial, mostly because it's space, so it's quote-unquote different. But at the end of the day, we have the same business drivers as terrestrial operators. 
and we have the same demands and we want to bring innovative services. So having the ability to come in and provide things like ESOMs or stations in motion, being able to move our fleets around easily, but in a safe manner, of course, to meet consumer demand is critically important. So those are two of the issues that I would certainly put into place is spectrum flexibility and long-term certainty. That's always an issue for us. I mean, especially they're not making more spectrum, and so we've got to do better with what we have. Because the terrestrial wireless sector, that particular sector, terrestrial wireless sector, has been very vocal in the need for additional spectrum to address 5G and other requirements. The industry, uh, satellite industry, is a SES in particular, has been a keen supporter of 5G. And in that sense, the satellite industry itself is active in affiliate associations to ensure that satellite plays a really integral role in that technology. To do so, though, um, requires that regulators focus on how satellites will be supporting that technology and how it is already supporting broadband and the extension of broadband connectivity into new areas and to new applications. So one important area for regulators to focus on in the next few years will be addressing the requirements of um, antennas and um, platforms that are facilitating mobile connectivity. So we talked about how we now rely very much on airplanes on satellite connectivity. But uh, from a regulatory sense, that requires that regulators think about blanket licensing, think about simplifying licenses within a territory or multiple terminals and multiple sites because satellite is becoming such an integral part of um, how folks get connectivity. In order to do so, they'll need to be able to do so um, to have antennas available, the terminals available, the equipment available at an accessible cost and in accessible numbers to, to really make this um, integrated network of satellite and terrestrial or different kinds of satellites um, fully available and integrated into affordable access locally. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next time where we will discuss the 2019 World Radio Communication Conference and implications of the conference for the satellite industry. You don't want to miss it. The views, information, or opinions expressed during our podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.